Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on His side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hey, 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 what's up, Las Vegas? Tis the season for the sickness. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Frittle Show on KVXL 101.1 FM and on the podcast at SoundCloud and iTunes. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't done so already. Thanks so much for joining us. In case you haven't figured it out yet by the sound of my voice, which I'm trying very hard to make sound relatively normal, I am sick. Don't worry. As best I can tell, it is not, in fact, the coronavirus. It is just a common cold or possibly some... I don't know I don't know what it is yet. I thought it might just be allergies, but then uh, the nose head thing has become a sore throat, achy, painy thing, so I don't really know what's going on. I'm just trying to eat good foods and drink good warm liquids and hope for the best. <laughs> But anyway, it's your weekly roundup of faith, family, freedom, and fun. We're going to go through the week's headlines, break down what has been happening in the world for you, and end up with a little bit of fun things that you have not perhaps heard about from this past week. What a week in the realms of politics. My goodness, it started out with the Iowa caucuses. This was supposed to be the big launching pad for the Democratic Party's candidates this year. They have poured literally millions of dollars into the state of Iowa. The amount of time that has been spent in the state of Iowa has been a phenomenal level of time by these candidates. Iowa is where you want a good start. And instead of a good start in Iowa, it seemed that the money, the time, the effort, the focus had potentially been wasted. Because as the night turned into morning on Tuesday, the Iowa caucus chaos continued. And really, we can talk about the conspiracy theories surrounding this thing and Mayor Pete, for those of you that aren't aware. Here's how it went down. The Iowa caucus uh, paid a firm to create a app to log and streamline reporting of the caucus results. The app began crashing and having problems a few days prior to the, to the, to the actual caucusing. It was glitching, wasn't working, and some caucus leaders and caucus chairs reported this to the Iowa Democratic Party in Des Moines. Others just assumed that it would work once it was time for the actual caucusing, and still others were like, hey, this is no big deal. We usually call in our results anyway, so we'll just do that as necessary. <clears throat> The problem was, 
Iowa Democratic Party headquarters was not prepared to receive calls of the results and the returns because this app was supposed to be getting it done. And then when the app wasn't getting it done, because the app was just crashing all over the place, the phone lines were jammed. There were hour-long-plus waits. It just was a nightmare. We received no results. In fact, it wasn't until the middle of the week that results were officially reported. Mayor Pete declared victory. Actually, several candidates declared victory, but Mayor Pete's was perhaps the most astonishing in that he pretty much just outright declared victory. Uh, Monday evening. And the the conspiracies, if you will, came into play because apparently Mayor Pete <laughs> has a high-level staffer who is married to the creator of this app. And so there was talk of you know, things happening that shouldn't have happened. Because, you know, obviously when you have an app that's broken and a candidate who's declaring victory, who has a high-level staffer whose husband made said app that is not working, which is allowing you to potentially declare victory without anyone being able to question that or refute it or confirm it, that just looks a little bit suspicious. Personally, I don't think that there was anything of that nature going on, but the optics aren't great. So... Uh, that said, we finally, we still don't have all the results in, but we have the vast majority. I think we're at about 98% uh, reporting for the for the caucuses right now, last time I checked. And it is ridiculously close between Mayor Pete and Bernie Sanders. There's like 0.1 percentage separating them in the state of Iowa. And what's interesting about that is although Mayor Pete is ahead by just the slightest margin... It gives them the same amount of delegates. They'll both receive 11 delegates from the state of Iowa. It would appear that Elizabeth Warren came in third. She'll receive five delegates. And Joe Biden was fourth. Amy Klobuchar, fifth. Andrew Yang, sixth. No one else even registered, really, percentage-wise. Uh, Tom Steyer... Uh, would have been next. Then Deval Patrick, John Delaney, Michael Bennett, Michael Bloomberg... Tulsi Gabbard at the bottom, which I found interesting. I found it interesting that Andrew Yang was actually sixth and that Klobuchar was fifth. But those are your top five. Mayor Pete, Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Amy, and then the Chinese man that wants to give us all $1,000 because he knows tech and stuff. I'm not being disrespectful. That is literally his campaign slogans. Or, I'm Chinese, I know all the things. Make me president. Like, that's that's what the man's... I'm, that's, that's his campaign strategy. And I don't negate it. I mean, the man is brilliant. And he is a fantastic showman. He is so fun. I think if... I think he honestly is probably the Democrats' best chance... Because he is fun and he is relatable and he takes socialism and puts it on a level where you think, hey, that might actually work. Whereas when Bernie talks, you're like, no, no, no. But Andrew Yang and the Yang gang, he, he, I mean, he can actually speak. He can formulate thoughts. These other folks, they just, they, not so much, not so much, Uncle Joe. 
I do wish Yang would give us a little more, though, than I'm Chinese, so I'm smart, so vote for me. Like, that just, I, we need more, we need more than that. And he is smart. He's a very smart man. So, give us some of that smartness so that we can make decisions, right? Then on, so that was on Monday. Busy week, busy week. On Tuesday, we had the State of the Union. Gotta tell you, one of the best State of the Union addresses, I think, in my lifetime that I remember. Okay, so yeah, I'm sure Reagan had some good ones that were in my lifetime, but I don't remember those ones. I remember from pretty much late Clinton to the president. To to the president? <laughs> yes, to the president. The sickness is apparently affecting... See? Affecting my brain and my ability to speak. Okay. Um, but of the State of the Unions that I remember, I remember two State of the Unions that President Bush gave that I just thought were amazing. Now, being a political junkie, I love the State of the Union regardless. But President Bush's State of the Union in 2012, following uh, the September 11th attacks, that I felt was probably the best State of the Union in my lifetime. This one, though... I think was probably a close second. I gotta tell you, it was it was positive. It was uplifting. He hammered home the economy. He talked about you know so many positive things. It was just a positive uplifting, encouraging speech. And it left you feeling like you were proud to be an American again. If you didn't already before. It left you feeling like things were good in the country. And when the president said the state of our union is strong and then laid out the case for why it was, you actually believed it. It was hopeful. And it was, I think, one of his best speeches ever. Now, of course, every president, when they give their State of the Union, are, is going to attempt to give you all of the positives and none of the negatives. The difference is, this time, you can actually see it, and you can feel it, and you know it because you're experiencing it. If you have anything in the stock market, or if you ever look at your paycheck, you just, people are... are more inclined, I think, to believe this when they see it. When they see that gas prices aren't $4 anymore unless you live in California or Pennsylvania or New York because your liberal lawmakers are making it that way because they're taxing you into oblivion. When they see that there is more money in their paychecks because they are getting a tax break unless they live in California or Pennsylvania or New York because your liberal state politicians are taxing you into oblivion. When they see that they have more bonus money when their bosses are giving out bonuses, when they see that their kids and their grandkids are being able to get jobs that they didn't have before. When you're actually experiencing the things that the president is outlining when he says the State of the Union is strong, I think that people recognize that, you know what, it really is. Even if you're not a big fan of the guy, even if you question his past, even if you question his present, when it comes to what is actually happening in the state of our union, 
it is hard to argue with it being strong. But I think the best moments of the debate, of the debate, wasn't, no, not the debate, the State of the Union, were in fact the guests. Grand Slam, home run, tug your heartstrings, wow. And I can't even pick a favorite among them because there was just so many special, special moments. I mean, it was... The, the president put on a show during the State of the Union. He really did. You had... He introduced a two-year-old girl who was born at 21 weeks, strong on the pro-life message there, really pushing the uh, people are people and all lives matter from womb to to tomb. It was it was very powerful uh, moment. You had, I think, you know, one of my, uh, there are so many favorites, but one of my favorites had to be when President Trump recognized Rush Limbaugh, who was diagnosed with advanced lung cancer, who has had so many uh, health problems in recent years, but has uh, fought through them and brought news commentary to conservatives across the country for decades. I literally, I grew up on Rush Limbaugh. When we would be traveling, and we traveled with my dad a lot because he was self-employed and his, his job kept him on the road often, and whenever he could, he would take the whole family with him. Sometimes it would just be a few of us, but more often than not, it would be the whole family. He would take us, we would go, we would do school on the road. It was, I, I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything, but when we would travel, we would always want to listen to Adventures and Odyssey because what child does not want to listen to Adventures and Odyssey? Which you can hear on our radio station every morning, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. and every afternoon at 3.30 or 3 o'clock. One of those two, kbxl101.com. But we would always want to listen to Odyssey. And we were allowed to listen to Odyssey until 12 o'clock because 12 o'clock Eastern time was when the golden microphone took over the airwaves. And from 12 o'clock to 3 p.m., no matter where we were or where we were going, we were going to listen to Rush Limbaugh. And I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh. I remember listening to Rush, and, and Rush would bring up points, and then during the commercial breaks, because there's a lot of them in radio, not so much in podcasting, though, you're welcome, then my parents, during the commercial breaks, we would talk about the, the issues and the events that Rush had just been discussing in his segments, and it really helped develop our understanding of our culture and our civic process and what was happening in the world. And I, I remember those moments with great fondness. And I grew up and I learned to love Rush, and I loved Rush because it was part of what our family tradition was. And so uh, the president recognized Rush uh, for his... Uh, for his service to our country and to its citizens and bestowed on him the Medal of Freedom. Now a lot of people freaked out about this. So you can't give Rush Limbaugh the Medal of Freedom. Okay. Before, if, if, if you were there where you're like, yeah, okay, I appreciate Rush, but he shouldn't get the Medal of Freedom. What you need to understand is two things, because there was a lot of confusion about this. First of all, the Medal of Honor and the Medal of Freedom are two completely different things. Okay? Secondly, Go look up the list of Medal of Freedom winners. And then explain to me why Rush should not be allowed to be on that list. Okay? It is many, many, many people who are simply entertainers, 
uh, Hollywoodites, and so on and so forth. There is zero reason why this this honor should not be bestowed upon Rush because this is what this honor has become. It's more of a cultural recognition of someone who is well recognized in our society. Excuse me. President Trump called Rush the greatest fighter and winner that you will ever meet. Then we had Amy Williams with her two children were there. Uh, she, this was another, this was this one and the Rush moment and then one other one. Um, but these two and then one more. I think Rush was my favorite. This was my second favorite. This, this woman, Amy, was there with her two children. The president tells the crowd that she works full-time, volunteers helping military families, and for the past seven months her husband had been deployed to Afghanistan. It was his fourth trip to the Middle East. The president thanked her, then told her he had a surprise. Her husband had returned from deployment and was at the Capitol. Sergeant Williams then walked down the stairs in his uniform to greet his shocked family hug his children it was just I mean if you didn't cry in these moments I don't think you have a heart and some people not only did they not cry but they were literally sitting on their hands in the house chamber you know who they were uh, then we had there were there were many other guests but I, I don't have time today to get into all of them you can you can look it up but my my other favorite one was when the president introduced 13 year old Ian Lanfear an eighth grader from Arizona talked about his love for space exploration and how this young man wants to be a part of this new space force. And then the president, as if that wasn't enough, you got this young kid, wants to be part of a space force, he then introduces this young man's hero, who was sitting next to him, his great-grandfather, Charles McGee, one of the last surviving Tuskegee Airmen. This was one of the few moments in the night when both sides applauded, when you had bipartisan uh, support. More pol on the political side, the president also had the former police chief of Venezuela's capital in Caracas, uh, Ivan Simonovis. Simonovis was imprisoned in 2004, held for 15 years on uh, trumped-up charges, if you will related to a coup against then-President Hugo, Hugo Chavez. Simone Aviz escaped last year. He was brought to the United States, and they, uh, the, the president introduced him as the true and legitimate leader of Venezuela. Many other guests, many incredible moments, really a tearjerker of, of speeches. He, he, he awarded a, a scholarship to a young lady from Philadelphia, who will now be able to attend a school that she wouldn't otherwise have been able to. Like, just, there was just so, so much going on in this speech. It was incredible. Now, transition. More politics. It's going to be a lot of politics in this one today because this week has just been full of the politics. The president, Donald Trump, has been officially acquitted by the Senate. Best case scenario for the president has happened. Well, maybe not perhaps the best case scenario. He didn't have unanimous support. Mitt Romney decided to go and, and do his own thing. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that momentarily. But the, this issue was not dismissed. The Senate did acquit the president on the charges of abuse of power and obstruction. So 
Uh, both articles of impeachment on Wednesday following a brief trial were rejected. The president has been validated. And I, this, I don't think anyone realistically expected any other result in this thing. All Democratic senators voted to impeach the president. All Republican senators, except for Mitt Romney, voted to acquit him. Romney said that the president had engaged in behavior that was destructive and an attack on the oath of office and the Constitution. Romney, by the way, for those that are either applauding or dismissing him as a as a closet democrat it should be noted that he voted not guilty on the obstruction charge he voted guilty on the abuse of power charge there were two different charges and i i think that before we go an all out attack on Mitt Romney we should remember that there were two different charges he voted not guilty on the obstruction of justice charge. He voted guilty on the abuse of power charge. Now, we, we could discuss this further. I think that this was a ridiculous thing to pursue. And you can go back and listen to past podcasts where I break down what the impeachment was all about. But I don't fault Mitt Romney for this vote because I can see how he arrived at this conclusion where he would vote yes for one and no for the other. He also knew that his vote would not swing what would happen as far as the president actually being impeached. And I would be willing to, if I was someone who gambled, gamble that had the president's presidency actually been on the line, that his vote would have been different. Is it politics? Yes. But I also think a lot of times we accuse people of playing politics when maybe, perhaps, they're actually doing what they believe is right. And I've talked about this on our program as well. I, th I think sometimes we're just so quick to judge people and not just people, but people who God has placed in leadership in our country. We are so fast to assume the worst about our politicians. And granted, they've given us many reasons to assume the worst about them in, on a pretty regular basis. But, you know, like, like take um, Doug Jones in Alabama. Doug Jones is, is a Democrat. Doug Jones is in a very red district. Doug Jones could probably have secured his re-election in a red area if he had voted to acquit the president. Instead, Doug Jones voted to impeach the president and most likely voted himself out of office. And he knew that going into it, but he stuck by his convictions. I may not agree with that conviction. I may think that it's misguided. I may believe that it's completely wrong. But he believed that what he was doing was the right thing to do. And he stuck by that conviction. Whether or not it's, it's actually right or wrong, or whether or not I agree with it, I think it is still commendable when someone chooses to follow what they believe, even if it may have 
political consequences or personal consequences. Like I, I, I think that is something that we should commend, even if we don't agree with the conclusion that they reached. And that's honestly how I feel about Jones and about Romney. Look, this is the conclusion that they reached after they were presented with the evidence they received. Now, the highest court in the land, if you will, has found the president not guilty. So at this point, it doesn't matter what they believed or what they said because they've said, you know what? Nope. No impeachment. Oh, I forgot the best part of the State of the Union. Nancy Pelosi ripped the State of the Union copy that she had been given. we we got to go back to this for a couple minutes because I, personally, I... I was a little bit shocked. I was I saw this and I was like, what in the world is she doing? That is so petty and ridiculous. And I gotta be honest with you, I laughed. I was like, I can't believe she just <laughs> ripped his speech in half. Like, how mad are you right now? Apparently exceptionally mad based on her comments afterwards. And and there's all these videos of, oh, look, she was preparing to rip the speech from the beginning. Look, this is her preparing. It doesn't matter if she ripped the speech. She ripped the speech. I thought it was funny. Apparently, this is not funny because everybody was starting freaking out about this online. And they're like, she may have broken the law. In fact, she violated uh, U.S. Code 18, Section 2071 when she ripped the State of the Union address and she should go to jail for it. No. No. The the statue in question deals with the concealment, removal, or mutilation generally of records and reports. It's a penalty for anyone who conceals, removes, mutilates, obliterates, or destroys a government record filed or deposited with any clerk or officer of any court of the United States or in any public officer with any judicial or public officer of the United States. The point of the statute is actually to prevent people from destroying records in official repositories, like the National Archives, or in court. The State of the Union was never filed or deposited with Pelosi, and she did not have custody of it in a legal sense. This was not like it was the only copy of the State of the Union. It was already in the archives. It is not a government record or, in fact, government property at all. It's personal property because the president walked in and handed both her and Pence copies of his address prior to delivering it. And under House rules, members of Congress, while they're encouraged to preserve their records or donate them to a research institution, members are not legally required to hold on to their files. They can put them through the shredder if they want. They can keep them private. They can create a museum out of them. They can do with them whatever they please, so long as it's not, you know, classified. Then they'd have to wipe it with a cloth. Presidential records have been government property since 1978. Those are stored with the National Archives. The State of the Union is a presidential record, which goes to the National Archives under the Presidential Records Act. But the but what Pelosi was given was not the record that is filed with the archives. Hence, it is not government property. This was likely a printout or copy, countless copies of which were given, and Pelosi's action does not prevent anyone from having access to President Trump's address in the future. Because if the statute were in fact this way, then any copy of any State of the Union in all of history given by anyone could never be destroyed. So if they make a hundred copies, where are we going to, like, that's just ridiculous. 
And by the way, fun fact for you, before you want to go throw Pelosi in prison, we know for a fact that the president himself has a habit of tearing up papers when he's done with them, and we've had multiple reports that his staff members, after the president has torn a paper, thrown it in the trash, they realized, oh, that has to go to the archives because of the Presidential Records Act. So they literally, there have been papers from the president's own trash can in the Oval Office that have been pulled out and taped back together (laughs) for the National Archives. Okay, so bottom line, it, it's not a big deal. It was, was it petty? Was it unnecessary? Does it make her look really bad? Yeah, it did. It definitely did. Was it criminal? No. And if it was, then we're all in trouble because that it's just yeah, that would be such a a. Anyway, I'm not gonna go there. Not gonna go there. But wouldn't it be fun though to find that copy? I hope somebody kept that. You know how much that torn copy of Trump's State of the Union would be worth right now? Or any time? Like, it's an iconic moment now. And then, of course, following the impeachment proceedings, where the president was acquitted, we had so many uh, senators and congressmen filming themselves for social media, ripping in half the articles of impeachment. And she so set herself up for that. Okay. We talked about... What's happening in our world? World of faith, family, freedom. Now a little bit of fun for you. And then we are going to go. NASA astronaut Christina Koch, who spent nearly 11 months in orbit, set a record for the longest space flight by a woman, landed safely this past Thursday in Kazakhstan, along with two International Space Station crewmates. According to ABC News, the Suez capsule carried Koch, Station Commander Lucia Permanito of the European Space Agency, and Russian cosmonaut Alexander Skorstasov, and touched down in Dezikskazgan, Kazakhstan, on Thursday. It was a 328 mission after her first flight into space, and provided researchers the opportunity to observe the effects of long-duration spaceflight on a woman. The study is important since NASA plans to return to the moon under the Artemis program and prepare for the human exploration of Mars. When she landed, she gave a smile and a thumbs up as a support team helped her out of the capsule and placed her in a chair for a quick post-flight checkup alongside her crewmates. Russian space officials said they were in good shape. She told the Associated Press last month that taking part in the first all-female spacewalk was the highlight of her mission in hopes that her mission will serve as inspiration for future space explorers. After preliminary medical evaluations, the crew will be flown by Russian helicopters to the city of Karaganda in Kazakhstan, and then the uh, Coke will board a NASA plane bound for Cologne, Germany, and then proceed home to Houston. That's an incredible thing. Good for this woman. I don't think, you know, if somebody came up to me and said, hey, how would you like to spend about a year in orbit? so that we can then study you to find out the effects of space travel on women. I don't, I don't think I'd be jumping on board that one. I'd be like, no, no, I don't want to be your, your test rabbit. I don't, that's not me. But this woman did it. And I think that's really, really cool. And we welcome her back to Earth, literally. <laughs> As she has been in infinity and beyond for the last 11 
months. That is so long. All right. My voice is failing, and we are out of time. What? See how that collided just so perfectly right there? Thanks so much for listening. We appreciate you being here. Hope you'll join us again next time for The Frittle Show here on KVXL 101.1 FM in Las Vegas and podcasting on SoundCloud and iTunes. Be sure to hit subscribe there, and don't forget to follow on social media. You can find me pretty much anywhere the social media exists except for TikTok because TikTok is not safe for your children. We'll talk about that another time. At The Friddle is where you can find me, and we will see you next time. Have a great week, everybody.